Welcome to Continuum, the International Business Council podcast, where each episode we sit down with an incredible member of the IBC community, dive in, and learn from their journey. This is John Fitzgerald, and welcome to Continuum, the podcast series of the IBC. Today, our guest is Patrick Murphy. Many of you may know him simply as Murph from the Morris Inn or Leahy's or Roars, but I'm very, very honored to be sitting with him live in person today at the Morris Inn. Murph, welcome. Thank you. Um, Glad to be here. I'm truly, truly glad that you're here. Um, And I truly appreciate it because I know I probably sprung this on you one night when I was here a few months ago and you were gracious enough to say yes, uh, you would be happy to do this. So, I I mean, first, and this isn't going to be a typical podcast that you would hear for Continuum. um, How long have you been doing this? How long have you been at Notre Dame? Uh, At at the beginning of this season, it was my 54th season. So I started here when I was 15 and uh, three years in the Army and uh, then back to Notre Dame. So you born and raised here in South Bend? Born and raised in South Bend, uh, out by the airport. And uh, one of the waitresses uh, worked here and uh, stopped by while I was kicking a football in the yard and said, what are you doing? Uh, and I followed her into work and she said, I'll bring you home. And that's that was September 24th, 1966, which was wow. the Purdue game. And uh, fortunately... Out of that Purdue game, I met uh, Jim Seymour and became good friends with him. And he had three touchdowns and hand ready through for 300 yards that game. So, what a memory. Yeah. So so since 19, you said 64. 66. 66. I'm sorry, 66. So how many total, I don't know if you keep track, but how many Notre Dame games have you you know, been here for? Uh, this one will be 306. And uh, Notre Dame, this will be the 500th game in the stadium. So I'm at 60% of the game. And, and so for our listeners, for reference, um, we're recording this on November 17th, 2023, of which Notre Dame hosts Wake Forest tomorrow. So and do you, I don't want to say recall every game, but I mean, you, you just cited reference from the Purdue game from 1966 and you know, the Jim Seymour reference. Is that just a pension for you that you have this ability to recall? It's or? kind of amazing that, you know, I can, uh, a lot of the things are based on uh, the day or, you know, a song. If a song comes on, I can tell you, you know, and it brings back memories of certain games. Uh, as far as Seymour, I went back and uh, I became good friends with him because he was around and his wife was a South Bend uh, girl and went to St. Mary's. And uh, unfortunately, they both passed in the same year. And uh, I got to attend both their funerals. So, but remarkable. Jim was a great guy. A lot of great stories from Jim. And I want to talk about stories in a little bit, but has Notre Dame been the only place you've ever worked? I worked in a factory uh, for about 10 years, but. it was uh, a factory that made farm equipment. So we would work six months steady and then we'd be off. And uh, so I would come in, I would go in at six o'clock in the morning, work till four and well, till three thirty, and then come out here and work another shift from four to close. So 
So t- today or currently, how many days a week are you working? Uh, I'm full time. I'm still full time. Yeah. And, and are they, is it a pretty constant? I realize football weekends are certainly going to be busier or home basketball, men's, women's basketball. But, you know, during a week when there's not an activity, is it still? Always something. Always something. Uh, the Morrison and Roars, basically, it's, I would say, the go-to place in, uh, in South Bend right now. Uh, we're busy every night. Uh, the food is fantastic. Uh, and it's a nice setting for the bar. Uh, it's, you know, the games are on, uh, it's good parking and everything's good. So I, I want to go back, Murph, and, and talk, you know, as I said at the beginning, Leahy's. And, and that's when my first memory of you was at Leahy's. And, and can you talk a little bit about Leahy's and then also the transition when they did the remodel and it went from Leahy's to Roars? Because I remember Leahy's is the, what I still call a tiny little yeah, little bar, and you were the do it all. Yeah. You bust tables. You, <laughs> I, and it, it was, th- that's my memory. And I mean, this is great. This meaning what we have now. But if you could talk a little bit about, you know, Leahy's. Well, Leahy's. When I first got in there, uh, it was all coaches, or uh, and the guys that were on campus and and graduates, and everybody smoked, and no women. And that was the very first thing I said. You can't be successful in the bar if you don't have women. Uh, well, I'm going to interrupt. Was that a, a rule or more of an unwritten? It was an unwritten rule. Yeah. Even when the trustees would come in, their wives would sit out in the lobby. And so I said, I have to make this a, a place where everybody's welcome. And I can remember a lady telling me about a year later was that I travel all around the United States. And this is the only place that I feel safe coming in and uh, you know, with all the men in here and I feel safe. And, uh, you know, she became a, a regular too, because she would show up every month. Uh, and South Bend would be part of her business stops. So, so, so talk about, you know, that, that kind of legacy you said from the coach's standpoint, I mean, what coaches, and you know, have you seen in here? I'm probably all of them for all I know. Well, uh, originally when, uh, when coaches got hired, they moved into the Morrison. So they stayed here. Usually they got hired right at, right prior to a bowl game because we weren't in the bowl uh, because we had a bad record. So they would get hired in December and then they would stay off and on until their kids got out of school. So they would be here for four or five months. So uh, we would get the, you know, defense coordinators, offense coordinators. Lou Holtz lived here for, for four months and would come down and, sit at a table and drink a Diet Coke and stand there and uh, type away on, uh, it wasn't a computer maybe back then. <laughs> so he was, he was a regular. I can remember one time when uh, he came in and uh, the priest was uh, a chaplain and, for the jail. And he came up to me and Lou was sitting over there by himself. And he said to me, uh, Murph, I need, 120 pairs of socks and 120 t-shirts for Christmas presents for the the jail inmates. And I looked at him and said, you know, okay. And (laughs) I don't know where this is going. And he left and Lou walked out, gave me uh, Jan's card and said, call Jan and uh, tell her you need 120 tube socks at the time. 
and 120 shirts without Notre Dame on them. So you can deliver them to the jail. So Lou came through for Father Pat and uh, I said, and for me, I'm going to, I'm going to jump around a little bit because that brings up a different topic I wanted to ask about. Again, I go back to the Leahy's days, Leahy days, and you were more of a tour guide. Yeah. And, and I, you're certainly have always been much more than a bartender, but I mean, talk about, I mean, the old days before, you know, this was ticket central. Oh yeah. Oh no. I had, yeah, it was a drop off point for tickets. People would give an envelope to me and then another person would come and pick them up. Uh, I would have people say, uh, I have a bus. I can remember one time that a guy said, the bus can't make it. I just FedExed. 46 tickets your way and it was for a, a Michigan game and they were lined up around the corner and I was standing there taking the money delivering drinks throwing the envelopes in there and hoping that I was going to come close to the total because I didn't have time to count the money but back then tickets were like 25 bucks a piece sure. and end up I was up 20 bucks on uh, in the end of the total the, uh, <laughs> 46 tickets and it was like a movie theater. <laughs> they were around the corner. So talk a little bit about when when Leahy's closed. Uh, it's devastating. Yeah. It, just because of, of the time you and the other people you work with had invested in it or. Yeah, it was it was a 46 seat bar. Uh, I expanded the, the seats at the bar to six. It was comfortably five, but I always made it six. Uh to get that seat uh, was like a 50-yard line seat because Lou could be sitting there, Joe Montana could be sitting there, and uh, Johnny Latner, all the Heisman Trophy winners would come in on a regular basis. The 66 team would come in, the 77 team, and that would be their hangout. They would come in and meet at Leahy's. So it was it was just a little piece of heaven. Uh, I, I can remember one time when Father Hesper came in around the corner and uh, that's when they banned smoking in the at the stadium. And he walked in and uh, Moose was sitting in there with Creighton Miller and Johnny Latner. And uh, Moose asked, why did you uh, why did you come to sit with me? Because you got better seats than I do. And he said, uh, Moose, I knew if I came and smoked a cigarette, uh, a cigar with you, they wouldn't say anything. But if they, if I was in my area, they'd tell me to put it out. So, and, and you know, you mentioned Moose, so Moose Krause. Um, I, I mean, did you know all these people just on a first name basis? And sure, yeah, I was fortunate enough to even know two of the Heisman Trophy. I mean, two of the Four Horsemen, because my dad was really from Defiance and uh, Don Miller. Uh, was one of the four horsemen, Jim Crowley, and they would come in. And, you know, I didn't, at that time, I didn't really, I knew they were lower, but I didn't really talk to them enough. Uh, and I, that's one thing I regret, because I wish I would have talked to them more about the stories of traveling. And now I did hear all the stories from the Leahy guys, but there was a lot of, uh, a lot of Rockney guys that came in. And uh, that was an era when they were still alive because in 66, 72 is when I was in the bar. Uh, 
So that was an era, say, 30, 40. They were in their mid-60s or low-60s. I mean, so, you have, in my opinion, a, a true knack for making people feel special. Any people, any person, I should say. And is that just natural for you, or is that something that's been learned? Uh, well, first of all, you, you got to love Notre Dame to do it. Uh, and right now I'm telling everybody that, you know, eventually I'm going to, you know, ride off into the sunset. But, uh, you know, I make points of telling them that, you know, the class is 2,700 and I tell the stories so that they can pass them on because I'm probably one of the last ones that can relate and tell stories from, uh, from the Leahy class, uh, from the rock knees all the way through and these little private stories that they told me and, uh, you know, I can pass them on. It's, it's, I mean, it's very natural for you. I mean, you're so humble in talking about it yet. I mean, the names you put out so far. And so the flip side of it, and and I realize you probably know who's going to be checking into the hotel but have you ever been like surprised or maybe multiple times surprised by who's walked in that you weren't expecting? Yeah. Uh, you know, Bon Jovi had a kid that was here. He would show up. Uh, Wayne Gretzky uh, would come to games and Wayne Gretzky would stand at the bar. And uh, I can remember one time uh, Regis Philbin came in and it was a spring game and uh, he was sitting on the corner and, uh, I said, I'm going to have the White Sox game on. And he said, really? And then we're, we were playing the Yankees during the spring game. So it was opening baseball. And Regis came in and said, uh, I'm going to, instead of going to the luncheon, I'm going to sit in here and watch a Yankee game. So Regis and I sat there and uh, watched the baseball game until about the fifth inning. And then he went over to the spring game. So, And, and you casually mentioned a few moments ago, Father Hesper. Um, and, I, and I could, we could spend hours talking about Father Hesper. But one of the things I certainly want to ask you that came to mind is, can you talk about one of the, the drinks here that served at, at Roars now, Father Hesper's Manhattan, and the origins of it, and just kind of how that how that's evolved and, and kind of grown. Uh, that was in ninety. I think it was Father Hesper's ninety fifth birthday. And Alan Simpson from the senator from Wyoming was in and the two of them were talking and telling stories. And a lot of times they would come in the bar and uh, they would sit there and say, Murph, grab a wine and just listen. And the two of them would tell stories back and forth. And I would just sit there and go, wow, wow. Uh, So what happened was that night, uh, Simpson, Alan said, the good father and I have had too much to drink. Uh, make it watered down and make us a drink. So I put a little more cherry juice because Father Hesperg always liked rye and he liked it sweet. So he always put like 60% vermouth to 40%. And he always told me that gave him an edge uh, because he wasn't drinking as much as the other persons. And... Uh, so they came up with that drink and we fine tuned it because the color from the cherry juice kind of looked obnoxious, but we've, we've added the bitters with it. But Father Hesper liked rye before 
rye was popular. And and is it still one of the most popular? If not it's the most the popular one drink by far. When people come in, they say, "What drink should I have?" And it's always a Hesford. And I always tell them it's it's like Jeopardy. It's a potent potable. It's it's not something you know that you can have two of if you if if you're not a drinker. But uh, he always liked it, and uh, so we had it. Now we have a rye, and we do the the cherry bitters. It's an excellent drink. And I, everybody always comments, this is one heck of a drink. So he did, he did well with that. So uh, uh, I'm going to ask a difficult question and it might take a while to answer it. But, you know, in, in your view, what makes Notre Dame unique? And you said a few minutes ago, you know, you have to love Notre Dame. And, and from your perspective, what's created that within you, as well as the uniqueness? What's the in your view, the attractiveness. Father once said that uh, we make mistakes at Notre Dame because we're run by humans and humans make mistakes. But I think Notre Dame does its best to do everything right, uh, to, to, to make the kids safe, to make this place uh, the best place on earth. I mean, you can go to the grotto and I make everybody, when everybody comes and says, what should I see? I don't tell them to go to the stadium. You're eventually going to be in the stadium if you're here on a football weekend. But you should go to the grotto. Uh, and Notre Dame does everything right as far as my eyes sees. Uh, I just love this place. And truthfully, I, I could be retired. But it's it's a privilege to come in every day and work. So with the, the people that come in, do students frequent they do. Uh, we get a lot of the uh, the students, a lot of birthday parties. Uh, so they've kind of changed the rules now, too. Uh, the state of Indiana on July 1st said that that somebody under 21 can come in the bar as long as they're eating. So the parents come in and sit at the bar tables, not at the bar stools. Uh, and they're able to uh, have breakfast. I mean, birthdays uh, with their kids. And, but a lot of the girls come in in groups of 10 and 12 and almost every night you can hear happy birthday going on. So in your opinion, do you think those students, you know, 20, 21 years old, whatever that is, have an appreciation for what you just said about Notre Dame, that uniqueness, that love? They do. Uh, you're almost going to make me tear up because uh, when I can't tell you how many kids that have come up to me and I'll see them in their junior year uh, in high school and we'll talk and their parents will ask me questions and I'll say, you know, different little tips on how to to from other students, how to get in. And if there's a little edge in here and as far as uh trying to get in and uh, then they'll come back and they love every minute. Um, I think one of the saddest times is like right now, you're, this is the last football game. You're a senior and you realize it. And I tell them that, you know, all the things that you have down on your list that you shouldn't, that you haven't done yet. If you haven't gone up to see Father Hesburgh's grave, uh, if you haven't gone down to the grotto at three o'clock in the morning, where, if you're down there at three o'clock in the morning, I, I was one night, uh, we were busy and I walked down to the grotto and, uh, 
I said, wow, at least I'll have the grotto by myself. And it was snowing. It was 11 degrees. And I remember that well. And I went down there and, and I didn't know it was midterm. Every kneeler was full all the way to the at top 3 at 3 a.m. And uh, the kids were all praying, you know, of course, uh, for good grades. But Father Hesper at that time walked in, put his hand on everybody's shoulder, said a prayer and walked up the steps and up to his office. And you can't, if you're down to the grotto, you see the kids riding by on their bikes or running and they'll stop and say prayers at the grotto and light a candle. So, yeah, Notre Dame is really special and kids definitely appreciate what they have. So can we flip that and talk about the employees, the, be it the professors that are here, the other employees, administration, whatever. Do you, is it similar to what you have, that there's this, this affinity to Our Lady that just permeates? I think it is. Uh, we have so many professors now. So many of them are so young. Uh, I can't say for sure because I don't really get to talk to them as much as I was able to do in Lay's. In Lay's, every conversation was with an earshot and you could oh, yeah, join in the conversation. Like, but uh, President, uh, it's so big, you don't always get to talk to them. But I think, yeah, I think their goal is to work at Notre Dame. But I think a little bit now more is uh, this is a stepping stone to further success because they want to go to uh, an area where they live to teach. Do you find professors that frequent and not, you know, be it not from the bar's perspective, but you just, again, you build up a relationship with them and they come in. Uh, I know almost everybody from the law school uh, because Sharon, the, the lady I've been dating, she uh, she worked over there. As a matter of fact, she called me up and said a long time ago, she was just somebody that came down and did football games. And she called me up one day and said, uh, what are you doing on Tuesday? And I said, it's summer. I'm mowing my yard or whatever. She said, I'm sending my car to South Bend. I'm moving to, to Notre Dame. And I said, do you have a job? And she said, no. But they'll hire me. And <laughs> so I knew Deb from the law school and asked Deb. And Deb said, oh, sure, we've got openings. And so 20 odd years ago, she moved here. She became an assistant to Amy Coney Barrett and uh, then moved on. And she went to the Supreme Court with Amy. And she's here now. Her sister moved here and uh, to... So they moved from California. What an amazing story. Yeah. They moved from California to be with South Bend, to be in South Bend, to be at Notre Dame. So, so. Arthur, what do you think it takes to be a great bartender? You have to you have to tell the stories. You have to know the stories. That definitely helps. And you have to love Notre Dame. At, if you're going to be a bartender at Notre Dame, uh, I can pretty well tell within two days whether that person's going to make it or not. And we've had a lot come in and go, but uh, our present staff is just um, unbelievable. They're amazing. They know the stories. They know how to work. Uh, 
an example on Saturday, we'll on a on a night game on Saturday, we'll do 16 hours on Friday and 16 hours on Saturday. So you've got to love Notre Dame because at a certain point, you're the money really doesn't matter when you're into the 32nd hour in two days. So you're on your feet. I mean, on a football weekend, like you just said, you get two consecutive 16 hour days. You look great, but I'm sure has it taken a toll on you at all? I mean, you're from your knees, ankles, hips. Uh, the hips wore out from Lay's because I had to run down that hall to go get food all the time. Uh, but part of that was, you know, playing sports. I knew, you know, they were kind of damaged already. So, so have you had them replaced? I had both hips replaced, yeah. Oh, wow. But, okay. Yeah, that's been – and I came back to work in three weeks. Uh, so, as a matter of fact, one of the doctors, I had my shoulder replaced uh, after playing softball for 30-some-odd years. And uh, the, soldier, uh, the, the doctor who is uh, – the team doctor for shoulders, uh, he introduces me as his pain in the ass uh, uh, patient because he said, I came around a corner and told you to stay off of work for three months. And I looked in three weeks there, you were standing behind the bar. So, you know, and that's another plus is you get to talk about Notre Dame and, and, and again, going back to the students that love the place. I had this girl that came in uh, and she looked at me and I was kind of thinking, you know, what what's going on here? I know she knows me, but I really can't pick up her face. And she said, so I finally asked her and she said, uh, well, I graduated in 2003 and I used to come over here every Friday and talk to you. And uh, and I kind of laughed and I said, wow, you know. She came in specifically to see me and tell me that story. And so she came back for Leahy's because that was her time. And uh, I said, well, a lot of things have changed in 20 years. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, you know, after she started talking about the stories, I did re uh, remember her. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure you could tell there's many people I'm, I, I have to believe come back, oh. you know, simply to, to see you, say hello to you. Yeah that you made an impression because certainly for me, and I go back, I don't know, 30, 40 years. Uh, yeah. It's, you know, on a football weekend, I probably take 10 to 15 pictures with people. And uh, a lot of times uh, it'll be with their father because now I'm on almost my fourth generation. Uh, so, you know, if their grandfather was here, now it's their father. Now it's them. And now it's their kids that are, they have their kids. They dropped off their kids. So we're into generation number four. Do you like, what's your favorite sport? Uh, probably baseball because you can just sit there and uh, relax because <laughs> at times it's so boring. But football. Do you get over to any baseball games? Uh, I go to the, you know, some White Sox games. Okay. And, you know, I'll go to the Notre Dame games and watch. Okay. Uh, as a matter of fact, Pat Murphy, uh, who is now the coach for the Brewers, uh, my name's also Pat Murphy. So I used to get letters and it would say, I have a 98 mile an hour fastball and I'm left-handed. I really would like to set up a meeting and I'd go, what the heck is this? And it'd take me to the second paragraph to realize that they sent it, the male people Directed sent it to, to the me. wrong person. Yeah. So I would forward it. So 
So do you ever get a chance to, to go to a football game? Have you ever been to a football game? Uh, the last game I went to, I went, I worked 243 straight games. Wow. Without missing. And uh, then they redid the stadium. I mean, they redid the Morrison. Sin. And uh, so I, uh, I got to go to two games there at the end of the season. And the last one was the Pittsburgh game, which started out at 20 degrees and ended up at 18 and triple overtime. And I said to myself, wow, it's easier to work 16 hours than to sit here and be nervous into the third, you know, overtime. But, but you follow Notre Dame football oh, yeah. very closely. Oh, yeah. And I, I have a rule with the bartenders. I'll work all the way through, but the fourth quarter, I'm watching the fourth quarter sitting at the table uh, and watching the end of the game, whether it's we're way ahead or way behind. So that's your break within those 16 hours. Break. Yeah. So I get to do that. Good for you. And uh, that, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, I was just going to say, you know, it's nice when guys – now, a lot of them have passed, but when Johnny Latner walks into the room and shakes your hand and Johnny Lujak and Tim Brown and Derek Mays and on and on and on, I mean, it does. I mean, it makes your heart, you know, stop and think, my God, I'm sitting here talking to, and this guy made a point of coming up to me and saying hi. And same thing with Joe Montani when he was here for Southern Cal, uh, that he stopped and said hi because I was here when his daughter got accepted and he was sitting at the bar and he got the, the news. So, and I played softball against Joe in, when he was here in town. So, Murph, what do you think it, it takes to have a great and meaningful life? Well, I would have to say with the amount of time you spend with your, uh, your job, you have to be happy there. Uh, but family uh, it's, it, it all boils down to family to me. Um, uh, you, you love your kids and you, you want to see them. And if you're at a, at a point in life where all, all of your kids, you don't have to worry about them and you know, they've made all the right decisions. Is there ever that point in life that you don't have sometimes, to worry? <laughs> sometimes you could go six months and go, all right, but right now I'm on a roll. All my kids are, are doing great. And, uh, they're all healthy, but health is another one too. But I think going back, and I always uh, say this, the mistakes you make when you were a kid and in your teenage years come back to haunt you later on in life. Because I can remember my dad saying when I was playing football, he goes, you're going to remember that hit. And I laughed at him. Of course, you know, I'm 18 years old. And then several years later, I go, oh, dad was right. <laughs> What are you most proud of in your life? I think, well, of course, my my boys, uh, uh, that I'm able to do that and be with them and help them out in certain circumstances. And, but, you know, it's it's pretty special to have people stop by and, and you can see in their eyes and in their, uh, their facial expressions. It's almost like uh, they their first look at a puppy or whatever. And they're always so happy to see that I'm still there. And I think that definitely drives me too, because. So is it, and I realized it's work and it's, it's a job. Is it truly work for you? I would say 95% of the time it's not work. I mean, 
when you're hitting that 16th hour on uh at three o'clock in the morning on uh on the southern cow weekend or the ohio state weekend it it becomes a job at that time uh but boy it's i'll tell you what i can't tell you how many people will have come up to me and said you know if if i could only just spend one weekend behind that bar and listen to the stories from the people and that's what you do you you as you walk by you you try to intervene in the stories you you hear them talking and the, it's their first visit so if you know it's their first visit boy you you make a point of saying where are you from this is what you got to do and uh you know you're going to go through the stadium and, and you have to know everything that's on campus and you know like tomorrow at 11 o'clock at one o'clock Notre Dame's playing Illinois so fortunately I've got to know the girls basketball coaches and and in the past I don't know anybody from this uh this football uh uh, coaches right now, but, uh, you know, I knew Mike Bray, uh, I knew Lou, I knew all the coaches in under divine era. So, you know, I, I pulled strings. I know people. So if you, I'm kind of a guy that if you need something done and you say, I can't do this, or I, I need a reservation for eight people at, seven o'clock on Saturday night, I know that that person's important and this is just not for fun. This is, uh, this is a serious thing. So management here has been excellent. Uh, that just supports my point. You're a tour, you're a tour guide. You yeah. just, you're the go-to person. Yeah. You know, you mentioned, you know, a USC weekend, Ohio state weekend. Can you talk a little bit about the visiting teams? I mean, the fans that I'm sure come in here, mm -hmm. I mean, are they respectful? I mean, any that stand out more than others on the positive side? I don't want to talk about the negative because I'm sure you can tell stories all day on that. But but more like the positive side, the, the people that just come in and just, I don't want to say in awe of Notre Dame, but just have a, didn't know anything about it. There is, there is a lot of awe with Notre Dame, especially the Southern teams. Uh, the Southern teams really appreciate coming up here. Uh, the smaller schools uh, like Central Michigan uh, or example, Hanover, uh, when Hanover played basketball here, there had to be three, four hundred Hanover. And they were like, this is just such a treat to come to Notre Dame. And uh, Shrewsbury uh, made a point of everybody getting recognized. And uh, they just they love coming here. And, you know, the good thing about Notre Dame, I think. I think we're too kind sometimes, especially when we lose. Uh, people will come up to me and say, my God, we just beat you. And we got congratulated by so many fans just saying, oh, thanks for coming to Notre Dame. And as a matter of fact, there's uh, when Georgia came here, Georgia was so amazed at how well they were treated that they formed, they sent ushers up here to learn from Notre Dame people and they call them the gray dogs. So the gray dogs have a button on. And if they see an opposing person coming up, they make sure that they, uh, they treat them like Notre Dame treated, treated the Georgia wow. fans when they were here. So, and there was even an article in the Athens paper, uh, cause I did go to the Georgia game and it said, if you see anybody, uh, mistreating a Notre Dame fan, 
you step in because in all our years, nobody treated us better than what we were treated at, at Notre Dame. So that's, you know, that's just Notre Dame. That goes back to do the students appreciate it? And yeah, the students then are now 20 years from now. They go back and all the way through. So, well, as you said, you're in your fourth generation of seeing yeah. seeing people, which is amazing. Yeah. It's, it just supports the story. I've been blessed. You know. I mean, uh, you know, because the lights could go, but uh, I've been fortunate. Don't, don't let the mind go. Yeah. You got <laughs> to well, keep sharing those stories. That's what everybody keeps saying to me. You know, it's absolutely amazing how you can relate to different stories. But I can stand there and, I mean, I can rattle off stories about the 66 team. And, uh, and Joe O'Neill is, is a great uh, – he uh, – he comes in here and he'll tell stories. And I just sit and every time and listen to the great stories because going back to the 66, uh, this, the first time his dad was uh, a receiver on the team. And he went up to, to uh, Jim Seymour, who was roommates with Joe O'Neill's brother, Kevin. And he went up to uh, uh, Jim and said, you know, I, I was a receiver here. And uh, Jim said, no disrespect to you, Mr. O'Neill, but you caught 10 passes in your career at Notre Dame. And he said, my first game as a freshman, I caught 10 passes. <laughs> and that's the kind of stories that you hear. So it's just amazing sometimes when you. That's great. Yeah. Um, I, a couple last questions. So I, I certainly like to ask every guest. Any book recommendations? I don't know if you have I would time to read. love to do a book. I think there's so many stories out there, but I'm not. And good I would at, buy that book. <laughs> we need to write that book. I'm not good at putting it. I mean, like this, I can talk all day long and I can go from one story to another story. And from Paul Horning, when I was a kid, Paul Horning, here's a great story about Paul Horning. Paul Horning, we were, he drives out Edison Road to the South Bend Country Club. And we're playing in the yard with baseball bats, but with a tennis ball. And my buddy hit it and it hit the side of his 58 Corvette, red with that little white convertible. And it hit his car. And he, we lived out in the country and he squealed around, came back. And my dad said, you know, he, my dad knew everybody as by their first name is what he said. He said, Paul, Paul, you got a fiberglass car. It didn't hurt him. And Horning said to him, yeah, but it's no fun unless you get chased. So that, that was the whole deal was to come in. And of course, we shot 50 ways to Sunday to get out of the way because the car squealed. But, you know, that's but I would love to do a book if I had somebody, you know, that could fill in those stories and make it nice. So that, I think that would be an amazing book just to, to start to just tap a sliver of what the, the stories, you know, the people that you've you've met would be fantastic. Yeah. Um, Murph, my last question, and it, it's a it's a huge question, but if you could change one thing in the world, what would it be? Boy, when you read the Bible, you, you hear about all these wars. And uh, I mean, presently, we've got wars everywhere. Boy, I sure would love to stop them. Uh, uh, you know, I, I hate to hand this on a doomsday thing, but if you read the Bible, that's when the end started coming. And, and uh, it's kind of scary. Uh, not so much for my generation because I'm in the past almost. I'm in the autumn of my life for sure. But, uh, you know, for the kids nowadays and, and, you know, you hope 
that every one of your kids are able to afford a car and to afford a house. So I sure would like to see that. You know, I think if a person works 40 hours a week, shows up every day, that they should be able to enjoy life. And it's not always true. Well said. Murph, thank you. I really, really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Greatest success moving forward with health, with work. I'm going to love this day. It's going to be a great game. Uh, As a matter of fact, Sam Hartman uh, came in last week. And (laughs) what a gentleman. What a gentleman. And he's, uh, from what I've read he's fit right in within a in a year to the notre dame community when he said uh after the usc game when he said i hope to be able to bring my kids back and have them experience this situation i think that sums up notre dame a lot right there i mean for him to be five years at another school which wake forest is a great school but for him to to wrap his arms around notre dame and notre dame to wrap their arms around him it's pretty amazing no, it is. And I think that really is a great reflection on the, on the school. Yeah. Again, Murph, thank you. I truly appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Continuum. Please leave us a five-star rating and share Continuum with your colleagues and friends. We need your help in gaining new listeners and growing our following. And for more information on the IBC, visit our website, ribc.com. That's just O-U-R-I-B-C.com. Have a great day.